Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of the Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of the Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Well, welcome to another episode of the Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of having a actress, a comedian. Her name is Roxy Rich, and she's going to be our guest for the next 15 to 20 minutes. If you'd like to join in the conversation, please go ahead and chime in uh, in the chat room, or you can email us at info at thecorebusinessshow.com, or you can go ahead and call in at 347-324-3460. Roxy, welcome to the program. Good morning, Tim. Thanks for having me. Well, I guess to begin with, uh, tell us your story. A lot of our uh, listeners love to hear stories from our guests. And tell us how you got started and uh, what inspired you to get started in this particular industry as an actress and comedian. Well, I think, you know, when I was growing up, I had the lead in almost every Christmas play that ever got put on in my school. So I always knew I was going to be an actress. Um, When I was in the 10th grade, I got voted funniest person in the class at Douglas Anderson School of the Arts in Jacksonville, Florida. And I actually didn't think of myself as funny at the time. I was just an actor and I was goofing off, you know, making people laugh on the bus, whatever, I don't know. Um, but what <laughs> really happened is, I know, it's crazy. Yeah, um, but I, I got a scholarship just one year, but it was at the Grange Speech Communication and Theater College, private college mm-hmm. in Georgia. <clears throat> and... Um, That was for theater, and then while I was there, I did Steel Magnolias. I was Weezer. I was the youngest person in the cast playing the oldest person in the cast. And, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I did get (laughs) reported for having stolen the show. Uh, It was good timing. You know, my timing was really good, and the professor told me so. And then I got asked to do something called Lost Comedy, which was produced by Bobby Oliver, another student there, and that was a stand-up and sketch show kind of like Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. And at the, she wanted me to do a stand-up. And at the time, I was, I told her, I'm an actress. I'll write this stuff, you know. What am I going to say? And she said, tell those jokes you were telling the other night at that party. I didn't remember. But anyway, I reluctantly agreed to do the show, spread it for two weeks, came up with some jokes, did a 10-minute stand-up, and I did really well. The next day at, at, the, at lunch, like, I heard people telling my jokes, and they were laughing and complimenting me and saying what a great time they had. And I thought, wow, you know, there's something to this. I can do this. There you and go. I was hooked. I started doing open mics. Um, I'm from Florida, so I was doing open mics at Bonkers Comedy Club back when Tom Rhodes had this huge mop of hair um, 20 years ago. You know, it, it, we'd sit in the back and yell things at each other like, you're bombing. You know, it was really... <laughs> Yeah, well, this is what comics do. You know, we heckle each other, so we didn't get past it. And I was very young. I mean, I was, I was a lifeguard. You know, I, and the jokes that I was telling were probably inappropriate for what I looked like. And I did all, but I developed. I started developing. I was really hooked, and I started doing all these open mics, and I started booking a little work around Florida, and I won Mm -hmm. Funniest New Female um, at Hilarities in 1991. 
which was good. Hilarities, I think, was in West Palm Beach, and then I also did Groucho's, and I did really well there, and I just, I knew that I was going to do comedy. I knew, I also wanted to act, though. I mean, I really wanted to, to move to L.A. and be an actress. Mm-hmm. But uh, when, I, when I got here, you know, I couldn't get an agent. I was young. I was green. But I could do comedy. And so I kept doing it and got on stage and got people to see me, and I produced shows, you know, and here we are. Well, congratulations. Uh, Jacksonville, Florida is where we're based out of. Well, I'm in Dallas, Texas, so it's a nice area. Well, I was. I was 20 years ago. I'm in L.A. right now. Sunny day in L.A. <laughs> wow. So is it? tell us about timing. Uh, you you have to have timing to be a comic. Tell us what is the timing and how do you know some people naturally have it or you really have to work on it? You know, that is some. I wish I could answer your question. I mean, the the honest, the most honest answer I could give you is I think I was just born with that. I think some people naturally have talent. I mean, any any skill like you have some people they're born and they can just draw, and then they develop finer skills if they take classes or whatever. And I think comedy is the same way. Some people are just na- have natural ability to reach out to an audience. Um, and know when to say a punchline and when not to. I think it can mm-hmm. also be developed. I think it can be developed. You know, I, I think people can develop that skill if they work at it. But an, an innate ability to have timing, I, don't, I can't explain that. I just know that I could always remember a joke. I never forget something funny. If I, if I hear something funny, I just never, I never forget it. What inspire you? What inspired me? Yeah, no. Some comics and some uh, people will see. Some people are people watchers because people are naturally funny. When you you know you just go to the airport and you can go into a mall and just watch. And uh, some people get their material from there. Some people get their material from uh, uh, some other settings. So how do you how do you, your material come to you? I think it's just life experience, you know, watching the things that happen to me, things that happen to other people. I mean, I've got jokes in my act that unfortunately some people think that um the comedy is real like everything you're saying is real and that's because it's done from the first person it's not a play you're not someone else you're standing there being yourself so you tell a joke and every you know it could be a condescending joke toward yourself and people think that it's it's true and after the show they think you are everything you just said it's not necessarily true it's actually an act and i get that act from all kinds of sources I know things that happened to friends of mine that were really, really funny, and then I wrote a bit about it as though it happened to me. So that that can happen. If I see something really ludicrous going on in the world, ridiculous things, I just take that and then stretch it to the nth degree beyond beyond anything that would ever really happen. And if you can just keep stretching it, it's kind of like Lucille Ball. I read this book called Writing the Script, and they would just mm-hmm. milk a scene for every last every last amount of humor they could you know, you could find in it. I don't know if you remember the episode where she had to go downstairs and get the check out of the drawer and the, the landlord woke up and then she starts rubbing his back to put him back to sleep. I mean, it's just, <laughs> this is how comedy works. Yeah, and, you know, it's just anything that could happen, you just take it beyond the realm of reality. And then it really becomes really funny. And I think that's what I, I hope to do. I hope to achieve that in my show, say something absolutely ludicrous. So who who the people you looked at as a child coming up? Hey, I, you know, Lucille Ball had her own timing. Uh, Buddy uh, has his own time. I mean, you really look at Dick Van Dyke, 
uh, the two comedy writers, and you had both of them had their own comedic timing. Um, how is that? You know, when you talk about comedic timing, who did you uh, look towards growing up uh, to inspire you to be a comedian? Interestingly enough, I knew every word of Eddie Murphy's show Delirious. <laughs> I know, I'm a girl, and I would I remember being on my girlfriend's trampoline and just doing this whole act. And also Andrew Dice Clay was very big when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um and I knew all of his jokes. Paula Poundstone was one I really liked as well. And of course I always watched Lucy, um, which isn't stand up, but it's it is a form of comedy, all her facial expressions. Um but what happened when I started doing comedy, I, of course, modeled myself after comedians that I liked, which was the only comedians I knew, which was Eddie Murphy. And it doesn't look good on a, on a, a little blonde girl. So I actually had to I had to develop an act that suited me, you know, that, that came from, from my viewpoint. But, you know, initially I think I was really, I was really animated and big and I, you know, I swore and I just, you know, I'm trying to find my style, and th- that was the comment. That I think Eddie Murphy was most influential, really, when I was growing up. But mm-hmm. I, I'm nothing like him now. As a comic, I'm nothing like him now because I eventually worked out what what was working for me, what my viewpoint was, and um, you know, where are my jokes coming from? That it's they're they're from me, you know. And I had to I had to do my own style. I mean, I heard that Richard Pryor used to do. Um, What's his name's act when he first started out? What's his name? Oh God, I'm gonna get killed. <laughs> oh, um, I can't now. I can't think of his name, but he's a huge star. <laughs> um, Bill Cosby. I I heard that Richard Pryor used to do Bill Cosby's act, and someone told him, "Hey, you can't do other comics material." You know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when I started, and so he went off and developed his own style and eventually did get his own material. I think when I started, I never did um, Eddie Murphy's act because he was already big and famous. I did my own act, but it was, I really liked him and the way he was, and so I I was kind of like that in style, you know, but I'm nothing Mm -hmm. like that now. Wow. So is there different degrees of, or different styles of comics? You know, you have comics that just naturally funny, like Bill will go on a particular topic regarding family. One person will go towards, you know, Eddie Murphy does go across the board. Richard Pryor, you know, I'm not going to say obscene things, but there are different styles. Can you kind of describe those different styles uh, the person will have? Well, there are some comics who are one-liners, and honestly, I really admire them because I have no idea how they do it. Like mm-hmm. Stephen Wright, he just goes, he'll say one, one joke, and then he'll come, the next joke is completely non sequitur. And I have no idea how these people do forty minutes of completely non sequitur material. But that's mm-hmm. that's it because I don't know how they remember it. Um, my show, it it is set up punchline, but it's it's a story really. I start at one place. And I take you through this story and arrive at another place. And I go through several different subjects, but they all segue together. And I remember the order, and that's you know that's how I that's my style. And I am it is a story, but it's in an exact order. I can shift it around if need be. You know, if some bit's not working or something, I can always 
you know, abandon it and do something else because I have enough material now. But there are some people who tell these non-sequitur jokes. There are some people who everything they do is a story. It's not really set up punchline. And that's interesting, too. I mean, there's room for all kinds of comedy. I think that, um, like, some people are very slapstick and some people are very deadpan. And it just depends on the, the, the comic's personality what kind of comedy they're going to do. And, you know, it's all enjoyable. It's you know, everybody likes to watch something interesting. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> these comics, I think, naturally talk about what they know. I mean, there are some people that I've met that say they made up their entire act from out of the blue. I mm-hmm. think it's more realistic that people talk about what they know. Richard Pryor had this drug problem, and he talked about it. Um, you know, Jerry Seinfeld is Jewish, so his whole show, you know, there's, it's that he's Jewish or, or Richard Belzer, um, Jewish, you know, and, and so they all bring in line. Another Jewish comedian, what are the chances? You know, people talk about what they know. I'm blonde, I'm single, I'm in L.A. Uh, I talk about dating. I talk about my, my job that I had in fashion. When I first started out, I talked about my job in lifeguarding, um, you know, doing my nails while the person's drowning, you know. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Could I have to get up out of my chair and go rescue you? These aren't dry yet. I mean, just, you know, you just talk about what you know. And as you live more, you know more. You know, mm-hmm. your 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 style expands or your material expands because you experience more. And when you're young, you don't really know that much. You think you do, though. Ooh, I was arrogant when I was young. <laughs> well, you know, talking about experience, you know, like, for example, you know, Back to Eddie Murphy. You you watch Eddie Murphy in his earlier days and uh, through his peak. You know he was a funny guy, but he's talking about things in his life. When he was on Saturday Night Live, he just had people on the floor. Then you go the course of the years, and did it get to a certain period of time that you start to lose yourself? Because now your whole life is changing, and I'm not going to say money might make a difference, but have you? As you go through time, your life experiences uh, changes you. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. you get changed. You know, if, if you're wealthy for the last 10 years, you might not be as funny anymore because your whole life <laughs> and world has changed. And that's what we notice because it seems like it gets to a certain period uh, that then they become they struggle. Or it, it can be a musician with the same thing. They go through a certain part of their life. Then they try to reinvent themselves but it's kind of it's more difficult because now their life experiences change and their audiences change. People they deal with is exchange. It makes sense. Absolutely, it's like Rocky. He was hungry, you know. And yeah. once he made it, he relaxed. I think that absolutely happens. I can remember watching an interview with Richard Pryor where he said, you know, it was all about a struggle, all about a struggle. And then 15 years later, he was a millionaire. He wasn't struggling anymore. It was really difficult for him to be on stage talking about struggling when he was just set. Like, he didn't even need to get out of bed in the morning, you know? It was, so I can understand that, you know? And I was absolutely loved to hit that point in my career. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it on. Well, even musicians have the same uh, issue because then they life. Start, you know, the you know, if you're living a life of luxury, and and all of a sudden things will change. Do you think if there's a certain thing in a person uh, with a life, all of a sudden, um, 
they are how you describe it, uh, they have pull all of the material they have out of themselves. And they have to pull some, you know, get to the point is you just become brain dead or you become, uh, you can't do a joke to save your life. You can't come up with any material. Um, I think it could happen because as a writer, I mean, everyone has writer's block. You know, you've gotten, it's like you've done a 40-minute material, 40 minutes of material that you've been working on for several years and you've finally perfected it. Mm-hmm. Well, now that that show is done, now what? You need another 15 years to create a new one. <laughs> but hopefully by that time you're experienced enough that you can actually go out into life, decide on a topic, and create some new material from whatever's happening around you. I mean, a, a real comic is going to find the humor in whatever is happening to him in life. You know, it's when he's growing up or he's a young comic, maybe he's talking about his parents, you know, then he gets older and he gets married and he's talking about his married life. So somebody who really loves comedy and is really a talented comic is going to pull humor from whatever is occurring in their life. I mean, I think that you can go brain dead as a writer. I mean, I've written a book and I have two on the shelf, nine chapters in on one, 14 chapters in on another, three short stories in on a little, a little book I want to write about cats short stories about cats of all things because I like cats but you know I haven't written a cat story in six months because I just can't think of one so I'm, I'm writing something else you know it's you just any writer has writer block writer's block and uh, a comedian is no different comedians are actually writing their own material or they are they're hiring someone to help them write it you know mm-hmm. Do you, can you copyright your, your jokes or is it like a patent or it's just is for the public I mean once you tell it, then someone else can can use it, or is it to when you get ready to print it, the jokes then becomes a uh, copyright type issue. You know, I actually do not know the answer to that. I know that a respectable comic does not do other comics jokes. And there has been I have seen many a fight occurring, and actually have had a few fights myself over people stealing my material. Um, you know. I, and a good comic is going to go, oh, well, there's more where that came from. But if it's your best bit and somebody's out there doing your best bit and you wrote it, you can get pretty annoyed at that. I mean, there's, uh, there was this whole big thing with Carlos Mencia being accused of stealing other people's jokes, you know, and he's on TV. Um, there's, you know, if you go, you go into a comedy club and you see someone who hasn't had a big break yet and they're not on TV and they're mm-hmm. telling jokes and maybe they have 10 minutes of material and out of that, two funny minutes because they're still developing their their act. Um, and then some famous comic comes in and steals those two minutes of material and goes on TV with it. Well, now the younger comic can't do his own material anymore because the famous guy took it. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily copywritten. I think you can send your act to the copyright office and get it copywritten if it's written in book form. Like, I have some mm-hmm. copywritten poems, but they don't copyright one poem, and, and, and I've written songs. And what I did is I, I put ten songs together and then copyrighted them as a book of songs. So through the Writers Guild, I've done that, and I know comics who have copyrighted their act. But it's almost it's almost pointless because if you're a young comic and you haven't had a big break yet and then somebody really rich or famous says your material, how are you even going to sue them to get your <laughs> 
you know, and what, how are you going to sue them to get your 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 money for your jokes? You know, this is a very tricky issue being a comic, and the only solution is to keep writing, keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. <clears throat> and yeah, until you have so much material that if somebody steals a joke. You know, you just keep doing your joke anyway, and sooner or later, people will know who stole it. You know what I mean? It's it's a very delicate issue because comics are very proud of their material. It takes a long time to really write a joke, and and uh, just you have you're constantly scrutinizing your material. You know, I wrote a joke 20 years ago. I still tell it exactly the same way today. I have other jokes that I wrote, and then over time. As I got better at writing and so, and also adding and deleting material out of my show, um, the joke completely changed. The premise was the same, but let's say the punchline was much better now because I shortened it and I don't have all this verbiage in between. It's just set up punchline, you know. So it's you um yeah, you're proud of your jokes, you know. When when you actually do get an act, it's taking you a long time to to get that act. You mm-hmm. you don't want somebody else doing your joke because that's for sure. Wow. Tell us about uh, what advice do you have for a comic that's coming up in the, uh, uh, in the industry? What advice do you give them in order for them to train and to practice and develop their skill? Um, well, you know, someone told me a long time ago, and I just moved to L.A., that I should move back home and get very big where I was and then come to L.A. And, of course, I was young and hothead and thought, yeah, you just want me to go away because I'm funny or whatever. But actually, you know, I was already here and I wasn't going back. So that wasn't an option for me. But if mm-hmm. I lived somewhere else now and was just starting out, I would become the best comic I could become where I was. You know, if I lived in, in a small town in Iowa or Texas or whatever, I wouldn't move to L.A. with nothing and and think I was going to make it. Because L.A., it's... You spend half your time just trying to survive in L.A. It's expensive here. The apartments are expensive. Um, there's, a, there's a million comedians. The supply and demand factor is out. If you're not in, you know, you, you, you're stuck doing open mics and you're, you're not getting paid for that. So if I had to do it again, I mean, the times have changed and now I'm in a position where I actually do get gigs. I get free gigs. I get paid gigs. I work on the road. You know, hopefully I'll book a movie someday, but I, was, I haven't done that yet. You know, we're all we're all still trying to get work out here. So if I'm mm-hmm. a young comic, I would um, I would go to a local comedy club in my area if there is one, and I would take any class that they offered or not. I mean, <clears throat> there is some good advice in some comedy classes, but you don't want to spend your life in a comedy class. The only way to really become a good comic is to get on stage because you're going to find out if what you're writing is funny or not because nobody's going to laugh if it isn't. That's for sure. <laughs> you, know, you know, right away, they hate me. I suck. I mean, <laughs> you know, you just got to get up and get up and get up and get up. And if there's a limited supply of comedy in the area that you're in, produce a show. Go to your local restaurant or or bar and see if it's a venue where you could put a show in and produce a show. There are other people who want to do comedy wherever you are, and you could produce a small show, and you'll get more stage time that way in your own area. And that, that's what I would do. Wow, that's some great advice. Yeah, that's what I did. Even here in L.A., I produced shows here. When I couldn't get on stage because no one would hire me and I was new and nobody knew who I was, I went to the L.A. Co- uh, cabaret 
and produced a show called Comedy Girlfriends, and I've done it over the years. Started in a small club out in the valley, then I, t- I took it to Hollywood. I actually wound up doing it at the comedy store, standing room only by the time I got there. You know, a thousand bucks at the door. And that was a brilliant gesture on me, but it took, you know, it took a lot of work to do it, and I got, um, I paid all my comedians, you know, but it, we had to sell tickets. I mean, it was hard work. You know, you, you're going to be a comic. Unfortunately, you know, it, it is show business. The show part's the easy part. That's the fun part. Mm-hmm. It's the business part that you have to you have to really know that you're going to have to promote yourself. You're going to have to sell tickets. You're going to have to get people out to see your shows. And and look at the economy right now. Nobody's spending twenty bucks to park on Sunset Boulevard. You know, it's almost easier if you're somewhere where where there aren't a million comics. If you're in a small town in Texas somewhere, become big in that town and then take yourself over to Austin or you know, or Dallas or somewhere where there is a major comedy club and try and get up on that stage and do a guest spot and see if you can't get get in at that club. Okay. And uh, last thing, regarding your books, um, you have a book that's out. Can you talk about the book? Yes. it's Well, I worked in uh, fashion for a long time. Before I moved to L.A., I was a lifeguard for many, many years, swimming instructor. Um, and then I moved here and stupidly let my my certifications go because lifeguards get paid a lot of money here. <laughs> but anyway, just a mistake I made. Um, but I worked in fashion. I basically have become a stylist in boutiques, and I'm very, very good at it. Mm-hmm. And the book, <clears throat> and at some point, a couple of years ago, you know, everyone suffers setbacks in their life. And I had a really terrible um, injury. And I'm not going to get into it, but... Uh, so I, was, I had really, really a horrible injury. I had a concussion and whiplash, and my dad didn't work right. And you know, and I still had to work because I'm a comic. Don't 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 have insurance. <laughs> At least didn't, you know. And mm-hmm. You when you work in retail or any kind of customer service, you're constantly dealing with the public, who unfortunately can be very rude and disrespectful. And those things you're signing up for it when you take a customer service job. of the people who walk through your door are not going to be rude, and you're going to help them and solve it. But there's going to be, you know, those exceptions to the rule where you're going to have to deal with people who are very rude, treat you like a servant, get me this, get me that. And you talk that up to part of the job. Mm -hmm. Well, enter into equation, you don't feel good. You can't see straight because you have a migraine. And you have to work. You know what I mean? And now you're stuck in this job where people are being rude to you or, well, now it's intolerable. And I just, for whatever reason, I started writing down all of the things customers do that, uh, I don't know if I can say this on the air, that really annoy me. <laughs> you can. <laughs> um, yes, that, that that pissed me off royally. How about that? <laughs> you know, just um, <clears throat> in any kind of business, I think what's happened is with the advent of the Internet and social media, People forget their their human skills. Mm-hmm. You know, they they just expect to have whatever they want right now. We're a fast-paced society. You know, they, they storm into the store and go, how much is this? Give me that, give me that, give me that. And they don't even realize I'm with another customer. And, you know, or, or there's 18 people in the store, and they want my attention. They want it right now. They want it, you know, like, hey, just back up a minute. You just got here. I don't even know who you are. You know, and I, it's not every person. The, the book that I wrote, 
is basically a straight-up slam on bad customer behavior. It's set in a boutique, but there are a lot of correlations to uh, working in a restaurant, a waiter, or, or in, as a secretary, any kind of customer service. And um, I think the chapter was like a day in the life of a boutique girl. So that's a really funny chapter, and it talks about my day and what happens because I live in L.A. and just funny people who walk in. It's not really about the rules. But the rest of the book... Um, although I think it's funny because it's, I'm hearing myself from the stage in dry humor. You know, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a, um, there's a chapter about browsing, and the opening line is, "I hate browsers. Buy something and get the hell out." <laughs> exactly. Well, when I say it, it's funny. If you read it, it might not be. <laughs> Wow. Within the last, uh, we have like a minute left. Uh, what do you like to be remembered? Uh, uh, where do you see yourself in the next uh, five years? Hopefully starring in films or producing, you know, or hosting my own show, traveling the world, doing comedy. This is this is definitely what I want. I definitely want to do films. Uh, I'd like to have my own television show, maybe my own sitcom, or maybe host my own show. Mm-hmm. Love to you know, love to have a show about a boutique or, um, you know, I definitely want to work in the UK. I like to travel abroad. Um, you know, maybe in London. Do I, I'm very uh, I have some very dry humor, so I really like to like to test my talent over there. So that's that's what I'm hoping, and, I, and I'm writing a couple of more books, and I definitely want to get them out. Well, and where can we get your book again? What's the title? Uh, it's called Roxy Does Retail. That's R O X Y. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a ludicrous guide to boutique shopping etiquette. You can go directly to my website, which is roxyrich.com, R-O-X-Y-R-I-C-H, really easy to remember, and there are links on where to get the book. It's available on CreateSpace. It's available on Amazon.com here in France, in, in the U.K., in Denmark. I mean, just all the Amazons, you can get my book. Um, and it's also in the Kindle and Nipple versions for Barnes okay. & Noble and Amazon. And also, if they want to reach out to you, they can go to your website. Your website it's roxyrich.com. With a Y. Uh huh. Okay. Yes, and there's some footage on there, so you can watch some of my show. You can see pictures of me and all the comics that I work with, some shows I produce, and um, and there are links to my my act, and and there's even some excerpts from the book. Well, Roxy, thank you for joining the program today. Thank you so much. Cody, thanks for having me. It was really awesome. Okay. Take care. <laughs> okay. You too. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Again, this has been another production of the Core Business Show. I'm Tim JK, your host. You can download this uh, show on Blog Talk Radio or on iTunes. Everybody have a great day. Great weekend. Thank you for listening to the Core Business Show with Tim JK. For a